this ridiculous sense of privilege. I'm gonna hopefully, by the end of the message, share a little bit of my testimony, if I feel brave enough, um, about a journey that God has taken me through, which will show you why I never imagined on any day in my life that I would ever be standing here speaking to any of you. God is a God of restoration. God is a God of grace. And so I'm speaking under a title called Welcome to the Family, where everyone counts. And if you had to ask Robin and I what the most important thing in our lives is, we would tell you it is our three children. I'm going to be speaking about three aspects of being a member of the family and three things that we have tried to instill in our children more than anything else. The first one is that they are born to belong. And we want them to know that out of all the people in all the world, we are so pleased that God chose them to belong to us. We are privileged as parents because our children are a gift from God to us. The second one is when you have a sense of belonging, you start understanding that you are created for connection. And it really is connection that drives us through this world. And if we have healthy relationships, we will have happier lives. The third thing is that in this family of God, everyone counts. And if you've come from a family where you might not have felt as if you counted, I have very good news for you. In this family of God, you are the very first pick. And God calls you chosen, holy, royal. He has adopted you in to this family and you are a joint heir with the rest of us. And so this morning, I have three groups of people that I've pictured that I'm gonna talk to. The first group is those of you that know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you belong. This thing never gets changed in you. And because you belong, you connect really well with other people and you have a very clear sense that you count. And when you have a clear sense that you count, you understand purpose. You see, because identity brings purpose. And so you know your calling you know what God's got for you, and nothing ever changes that. The reason I'm speaking to you this morning is because I believe that people with identity have a massive responsibility. Identity is contagious. And as part of the cool club, you get to invite other people in. It is your job to take those that are on the peripheral, those that don't feel like they count, and draw them in and pass on your sense of belonging, your sense of identity, so that they too understand that they have purpose. The second group that I'd like to talk to is those of you that know this as a head knowledge. You get it. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. You understand that. But you sometimes wonder if that was actually for you. There's a concept by social scientists that say that our identity is continually transforming in our lives. In other words, they refute the original idea that identity and personality is formed from zero to five. Instead, they say that even after five, 
all of our experiences, the interactions, the people that we're around, they all have an ability to tweak our identity. So when you're around a group of people that love you, you have a strong sense of identity. And then when you're around people that maybe you're not quite their cup of tea, that identity gets robbed. And it's kind of like that truth is like a slippery soap in the shower. You kind of have it in your grasp for a bit, and then it seems to escape out of your hands. And for you, my prayer is that you will hold on to that truth, that regardless of the circumstances of your life, the people that are around you, you will know that you know that you know that you are part of the cool club. Because in God's family, there's only one club, and we are the A team, and there are no B teamers. The third group of people that I'm speaking to, and my prayer is that the net is very wide for this group this morning. You are on the peripheral. You know that you're not part of the A-team. Do you remember those days in high school where the teacher would pick two kids to pick teams? Remember those horrible days of high school? And they would generally pick the coolest kids in the group or the best sportsmen. And the first pick that those, those guys would do would be the best players. And the second picks were their best friends because they had to. And then the picks used to get progressively downhill from there. And you were just standing there praying, Lord, please don't let me be last. Please don't let me be last. Please don't let me be last. And lo and behold, there you were, last one standing. Again, a reminder, you are not the first pick. You are not part of the cool club. And I hope that for you this morning, by the end of the message, you will have a complete revelation from God that if God was choosing and he was standing and picking a team, you would be his very first choice because he has got incredible things for you to do. And in order to do those things, you need to understand that you are born to belong, that you are created for connection, and that you count so much to God. And so, most of us are waiting for a great calling. If you've read scripture, you will know about the burning bush experience. Perhaps you think that God needs to talk to you in a burning bush. Maybe you want the writing on the wall. Or maybe it's a donkey that's gonna speak this morning. <laughs> Here I am, guys. But you know what? If you came to the Heavenly Father, your daddy, your daddy, the papa, and you climbed up on his lap, and you said to him, Daddy, what is the one thing that you've got for me? What is the one thing that you want me to do? What is that one calling that you've got for me? Do you know what he would say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And that is the reason that I will always speak about relationships, because relationships are the one thing. It's what God has called us to do. And when we get that right, we are completing his calling. Everyone in this room possesses a unique beauty that was handed down to you from your family of origin 
And this morning, I'm gonna talk about two families, the family of God and your family of origin. Now, obviously, it makes sense to talk about the family of God and church, but do you know that your family of origin has a tremendous impact on you and how you do your relationships in the family of God? You have unique characteristics that were handed to you by your parents, unique characteristics that enable you to relate to other people. Regardless of how bad your family of origin was, you could have had the worst possible family. I guarantee you they handed things down to you. It might have been something like resilience. It might have been something like strength that you can cope through anything. It might have been something like persistence. It might have been patience. There is something that you were handed to, and if you look hard enough, you will be able to see it. And it's very important for you to take a look because living a life of gratitude, particularly to our family of origin, is very important. Now I want you to do an experiment with you. To do this, you're gonna need to close your eyes. I know it's difficult. I hate it when pastors tell me to do stuff when I'm sitting there, so I understand how difficult it is. You know, everybody raise your hands, everybody do this. I always feel so awkward, so, and here I am doing it. But if you can just close your eyes for a second, or look down. No, close them, that's better. Okay, now I want you to think about how much green did you see? Don't peek. How much green did you see when you came in the room? Now open your eyes and look around. How much green do you see now? It's amazing that when you look for something, you begin to see it. And looking for green in our families and the stuff that our parents handed down to you is no different from that. Sometimes you have to force yourself to find it, but once you do, it can ignite all kinds of stuff in you and you can live in a place of gratitude and not blaming your family of origin. Of course, your family of origin handed some bad stuff down to you as well. Patterns of relating, some negative things, things that you struggle with that has perhaps had an impact on you. And I think it's important to take a moment and acknowledge those things as well. You see, you can't change your destination unless you know where you are. I have the very worst sense of direction that anybody could possibly have. Our son is here this morning and he will remember a time before Google Maps and Garmin's. Yes, young people, there are people in the room that are that old. And literally, we would drive a block from our house on our way to a birthday party. And Matt would say from the back seat, Mommy, are we lost yet? Yeah. <laughs> I'm the one that in the restaurant, if I need to go to the loo, which is always, I have to literally memorize which way I'm gonna turn. I got this wrong in the first service. R left. Right, <laughs> right or left when I come out the bathroom. I have walked into so many broom closets <laughs> thinking that it was the exit to the loo. You will see me wandering around in the restaurant with a stupid smile on my face, pretending like I know exactly where I'm going while I'm looking for the table that I'm supposed to be sitting at. My husband, my wonderful, patient husband, <laughs> has had 
So many phone calls from me in the car, absolutely <laughs> spaced out, lost. And the first thing I say to him is, baby, I'm lost. And the first thing he says to me is, tell me where you are. <laughs> of course, you don't know if I knew where I was. <laughs> I wouldn't have phoned him. <laughs> but he can only direct me to where I need to go if he knows where my starting place is. And the key to understanding where we need to go in our relationships is to understand where we are. And understanding our family of origin is not about associating blame. It's not about anger, resentment, bitterness that builds up. You did this, you did that, and reminding our parents at the dinner table every time we see them about what they got wrong. It's not that at all. Scripture talks about forgiveness. He talks about looking for the good. He talks about focusing on good things. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come from your mouth, only what is useful for building people up. So acknowledging what our family of origin was like is like drawing a line in the sand and saying, this is what I came from, this is what it is, and that's the direction that I want to go. And let me just be gut level honest with you. I really hope and pray that one day our children are sitting down with their spouses and they discuss all the good stuff that they got from Robin and I's parents, and they acknowledge the bad stuff that we handed down, because God's picture is for every generation to improve. My parents did the best job with what they had. They did a better job than their parents. I pray and hope that I'm doing a better job than them, and my heart's cry is that my children will do a better job than us. That's the goal, and that's why it's safe to take a look and acknowledge it and say, I'm not blaming, I'm just calling it something. I'm finding a name so that I can fix what was broken. The concept of family is a biblical one. There are two biblical themes about family that run simultaneously in scripture. The first one is the family of God and the other one is the family of origin. In Genesis, God created Adam and Eve, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. And that was the first family of origin. And scripture is filled with instructions on how to do family well. If you read Proverbs, you'll read about sons listening to the instruction of their fathers and how that brings wisdom to them. You will read about ladies, about us being dripping taps. I told my husband in the first service he's not allowed to remind me of that later this week. You will also read about fathers exasperating their children and how they should not do that. And all the mothers said, amen. <laughs> There's a narrative in scripture that explains that children are a gift from God and they should be treated as such. Even Jesus, when the disciples try to stop the children from coming to him, he said, let them come to me, because that was his heart for children. Children are not something to be tolerated for a time. They are a gift from God. 
And family is God's perfect picture of where nurturing should take place. What the beauty of the other theme is, is that if your family of origin had some gaps and you didn't feel like a prize, God is a restorative God. And he has a picture where he says, don't worry, you are adopted into my family. You are not just adopted, you are not just a son or a daughter, you are chosen, you are picked, you belong, and you are my first prize. And in that, we even, are, we even get an inheritance to all that he has for us. A story has been told about a little boy who in the middle of the night, a massive storm came, thunder and lightning, and this little chap was very scared, and he called out to his parents, Mommy, Daddy, come, I need you. And the father, after a while, not wanting to interrupt his sleep, and also obviously not wanting to miss a good Christian parenting opportunity, said back, don't worry, boy, Jesus loves you. He's there, he'll look after you. There was a moment of silence, and the little chap replied, but Daddy, I need someone with skin on. <laughs> the family of origin are our people with skin on. And in God's infinite wisdom, he knew that that's what we needed. And out of the 7.6 billion people in the world, God chose your family for you on purpose. It wasn't a mistake. And there's beauty in that. Our emotional connection with our family is as important, if not more important, than the physical nourishment that we provide for them. I'm gonna take you on a bit of a journey of what scientists have discovered is important in order for children to feel a sense of belonging. In 1760, a Spanish bishop wrote in his diary, descriptions of children in foundling homes who were dying of sadness. Even though they had all the nutritional necessities, they still died. Many years later, a film was produced describing the need for emotional connection and for physical touch. And that, that those two things could possibly be more important to children than their physical needs. In 1930s, the halls of American hospitals were filled with children, orphan children, and again, the necessities of physical nourishment was provided. And yet children deprived of touch and emotional contact died in droves. Psychiatrists later began identifying children who were callous and indifferent, unable to relate to others. And a paper was written in the American, American Journal of Psychiatry um, based on the observations. They described something called emotional starvation. And in 1940s, a term was coined called failure to thrive for children who'd been separated from their parents and caught in debilitating grief. And so the studies continued. 
and what breaks my heart about these studies is that nothing that social scientists have discovered is anything different from biblical love that the Bible talks about that children need. The first Corinthians 13 type of love that is patient and kind and keeps no records of wrong. The prodigal son, prodigal father kind of love where the son who has squandered his entire inheritance, the father still waits at the gate expecting him to return and when he arrives, he doesn't criticize, he doesn't remind him of his past. Instead, what does that father do? He throws a party and he celebrates the return. A love that is all embracing, all accepting, and all forgiving. And the fascinating thing about social science is that what they have discovered is that children need a place to belong. They need to know that they are more important to someone than anyone else. They need people who acknowledge their emotions, that tune into their emotions, that do not dismiss them, that do not say, you're too much for me, but rather say, come and sit on my lap and let's talk about that. It's as simple, raising children and doing a good job as a parent is as simple as family rituals, having a meal together consistently, having a time in the day where they know that you are available, where you tuck them in at night, you tell them a story, and you pray over them. And those types of things do not require wealth or position. They require heart. That is the same picture of the heart of God for us, a father who is always available, who calls us by name and who picks us and who is never too busy for us. And I find it so interesting that these things are the very basics of biblical love. Brené Brown says, those who have a strong sense of love and belonging have the courage to be imperfect. And you will know that the ability to be imperfect is what makes a good relationship because when we are able to be imperfect, we do not have to hide our faults. We can tell the truth. We can be vulnerable and that brings connection and that is so important for a happy, healthy relationship. And so my prayer for you this morning is that these things will become a little bit clearer. And now we're gonna have a look at what the family of God looks like, where in that family you get to be his first pick. We are born to belong. In Isaiah chapter 43 verse one, it says this, but now this is what the Lord says, he who has created you, Jacob, who has formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. Names are important. There's something about being called by name. I'm from a family of six children, and we are from a family who believes in nicknames. I have more nicknames than I often remember. And I remember one day, it was my birthday, and one of my brothers, I've got three older brothers, I'm the first girl after three boys, 
And one of my brothers wrote a post on my Facebook wall. A little while later, I got a call from one of my mates asking me if I was okay. I hadn't seen the post yet, so I wasn't quite sure where she was going with it, so I asked her why. She said, I've seen what somebody's written on your Facebook page. Somehow she didn't read the words, fat, ugly pig, with the same warmth <laughs> and understanding that my brother had intended it. You see, when you say fat, ugly pig to me, it's not fat, ugly pig, it's fat, ugly pig. <laughs> and I can hear my brother's tone and I can feel his love with that nickname. My father has many nicknames for me and they're not, it's not often that I go to his home where this doesn't happen, but as I walk in the door, he has this nickname for me and a song that he sings. And he breaks into song as if I'm the most important person in the world, because I am. And that sense of belonging has done a lot for me when I have wondered if I count. Parents, you have children and you have names for them. Some of them are labels. The emotional one, the difficult one, the late one, the scary one, the sick one, the stupid one. Unless you have named your children with a name that calls destiny, with a name that gives them purpose, with a name that gives them belonging, drop the name. They don't need it. They need a name that speaks purpose into them. That when they remember, when they're far away from home and they wonder if they can't, that they will hear the name that you speak over them. Choose some healthy names for your children. God gives us a perfect model of fatherhood and what belonging looks like. The scripture says that we are bought with a price and he summons us by name. In 1 Corinthians chapter six, it says, do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Do you know how valuable you are and how much you count? You are God's favorite. In Galatians chapter four, verse six, in the Message Bible, it says this, thus we have been set free to experience our rightful heritage. You can tell for sure that you are now fully adopted as his own children because God sent the spirit of his son into our lives crying out, Papa, Father, doesn't that privilege of an intimate conversation with God make it plain that you are not a slave, but you are a child. And if you are a child, you are also an heir with complete access to inheritance. There is an innate need in each of us to belong to someone. And the beautiful part of God's picture is if you missed that sense of belonging in your family of origin, if you did not feel like a prize, you're adopted into God's family and he calls you by name. He even 
sing songs over you. In Zephaniah chapter three, one of my favorite scriptures, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves you. He will take great delight in you. His love will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I wonder what name God has for you. I wonder what nickname he calls you. I wonder what it is that his voice sings over you. I wonder what song it is. Because in his perfect love, there is definitely a very specific name that he has for you and a song that he sings over you. I ran out of time in the first service, and so I'm gonna fly through points two and three. When you understand that you belong, you understand that you are created for connection. The problem is in families that things go wrong with connection. In fact, we are likely to confuse this concept of connection with a desire for control. I am the master of control in my family. I like the cushions to be straightened before we go to bed. When our children were little, the beds needed to be packed and lined up. I had lists on the fridge. I had rules. <laughs> you hit me both times. I had rules on the fridge. Control is my default. I called it order. <laughs> I called it good management. But it really was just control. And often I confused connection with my need to control. John Stewart says, he writes a lot about families and our relationships. And he says that there's something else that we see in family. And this is the concept that because we care, we criticize. If you think about it this week, catch yourself talking to your children and see how much of it is with a motive of great love and caring, and yet it's heard with ears of criticism. Our children have shown me this, my daughter particularly, she has explained to me that there's something about being attached with the umbilical cord that makes my words sound different when she hears them. A friend can say to her, that color doesn't look good on you, but if I say it, my words carry weight. It feels different. I have a greater responsibility as a mother to make sure that I'm a voice of encouragement, not a voice of criticism. Don Stewart also writes that no matter what age we have reached, no matter whether our parents are alive or dead, whether we are close to them or not, there are times when theirs are the eyes through which we view the world. Theirs are the standards against which we measure ourselves. And when we wonder whether we have measured up, the criticism of parents carries extra weight, even when children are adults. And so as a parent, take extra caution about your words of criticism, even though your motive is so pure because you care so much. 
Let me show you what the perfect father says about us. The perfect father's view of connection, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God's view of us is not criticism. Romans chapter eight says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And God is our heavenly father. We get to embrace a relationship with just words of destiny and words of calling without the critical parental voice. The last point is for you to hear that in God's family, you are his first pick. And I remember a time in my life where I had to journey this, not just as an intellectual concept, but as something that I was forced to evaluate as to whether I really believed it. When I was a young girl, I got married and left South Africa to go to the United States. I was filled with passion and calling and destiny. I knew that God knew my name. I knew that he had something for me to do. From a young girl, I had always had a heart after the things of God. I remember saving up my pocket money and buying a Bible. It was green. I think it was a New Living Translation. And I remember bringing it home and beginning to read. And the pages came alive to me. And I remember being so cross that something so valuable cost so little money. My parents were part of the Anglican Church and they sent me to confirmation classes. It was on a Friday afternoon. And every single week I did my homework diligently. I took it so seriously. I would look up all the scriptures, look up all the points that they would make, and I would go back armed more with passion than wisdom and argue every week about the inconsistencies. Of course, I didn't understand. I was young, but I had passion. I remember leading youth groups and SCAs and was so passionate about things of God. And then when I was 16, I received a call. I didn't even know what a call was. I just remember reading the scripture and it just lighting up in neon lights. And I knew that I knew that I knew that God had purpose and, I, and destiny for me. I remember being on the plane going to America, believing that I would save America. <laughs> I was the answer to everything. A few years later, I returned, wondering if God could save me. The passion and the calling was somehow impacted by real life. And many mistakes later, I was forced to evaluate 
whether my identity in God had to do with my performance or whether it had to do with the eyes and the lenses through which God saw me. In those days, the stigma of divorce was definitely larger than it is now. But if you have been through a divorce, you will understand the identity crisis that you go through, especially as a Christian. Could God still use me? Would he want to? How could I possibly be valuable after failure? God hates divorce. God hates divorce. God hates divorce. That hasn't changed. There's nothing. Our society and the statistics of divorce has not changed the fact that God thinks it's okay. God still hates divorce. But God took me through a journey where he had to teach me that he hates he hates divorce, but he loves the divorced. And even as a divorced woman, I was still God's first pick. And I learned that he loved me more than he loved my marriage certificate. And so in the years that followed, as God began to heal some broken parts of myself and restore, And there he is. <laughs> Complete restoration. And he used a man to heal some of the broken parts of me. He also worked on my identity to show me that regardless of my performance, regardless of my failure, I had a great destiny. And there were things that he wanted me to do. And although I knew I would never speak to groups. I could go after the one and find the lonely and the broken and make them feel as if they counted and remind them that they were God's first choice. And that's why this morning is so overwhelming to me because it literally is a picture of restoration. And I don't want anybody to leave here today without an understanding You know how bad blowing your nose looks on the YouTube video later? <laughs> My prayer for you is that you understand that you are God's first choice and there are things for you to do. There is purpose, there is destiny, there is a job for you to do. My parents are 105, well not really, but they're, they're really old. And they work in between these services, between the first and the second service, and they spread peanut butter on bread because that's what they can do at their age. There's a job for you to do. And it might not be a job that anybody ever sees, but there are people that need to know that they count, they need to be connected with, and you need to pass on your sense of belonging to those people. And I would like you to imagine for a minute that your heavenly father is picking a team 
for him to do a job. He's got something. It's you back in high school and the heavenly father is there and he's got this wonderful thing for you to do. And he looks out at the crowd and he says, you, I pick you, I pick you, I pick you, I pick you first. Come into the family. Understand that you belong. Connect with the people and fulfill your destiny. Because in God's family, everyone counts. <laughs>